God possesses all wisdom and all knowledge, and so He's the source of all true wisdom. And one way that He communicates wisdom to us is through His Word. So listen now to God's holy and inerrant Word. Who is wise and understanding among you? By His good conduct, let Him show His works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from, earth, from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. As we prepare now to sit beneath God's word, let's go before him now in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be kind and compassionate, that you would stoop from on high to meet our very needs as we come to you um, to hear you speak. And that is what we pray, that we, your people, would hear your voice, that you would call out to us, that you would speak to us, that you would comfort us, that you would challenge us, that you would rebuke us even and encourage us with your word. Above everything, Lord, we pray that you would, as we open your word, make real to us, make clear to us our beautiful Savior, the Lord of nations that we just sang about. Father, make him clear to us, make his work clear to us so that we can be reminded together this morning that though we are far more broken than we could ever imagine, because of Jesus we are also far more loved far more secure, far more approved of and accepted than we could have ever dared to dream possible. Father, we pray that you would reveal this good news to us this morning, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In children ages three to first grade, you're dismissed to Children's Church. If you make your way to the back of the sanctuary, you'll be taken to your class. Um, This morning, uh, we come to James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 that were read for us earlier as we continue on in our series through James. And in this passage, James is contrasting two kinds of wisdom for us, a wisdom from below and a wisdom from above. And I want to show you right from the start here something important about this wisdom from above that... I think the translators probably could have done a better job with. Um, In the middle of verse 13, James wrote, "By by his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. In Greek, you see, there, there are a couple of different words that can be translated good. Uh, For instance, there's a word agathos, uh, which in the Greek means good, and it means good in the sense of moral uprightness. Um, but there's another word in the Greek, kalos, um, which also can be translated good. But what, what it really means, the sense of that word is more good, is good in the sense of beautiful, 
or lovely. And James used the word kalos here, beautiful or lovely. He's saying in this passage, he's saying that the way to have and to live a life of beauty is to, get, is to forsake the wisdom from below and to get the wisdom that comes from above. Um, I'm not a musician. People here know that. Um, uh, especially if you stand up here with me while I'm trying to sing, you know that. Um, we've got some of the best musicians in Memphis here that are a part of our worship team, so you can ask them the technical stuff in a moment. This is just an observation uh, from a guy who doesn't know much about music. Um, to listen to a group of people sing the exact same notes at the exact same time is a certain kind of beauty. Um, but it, I, I think it really pales... That beauty pales in comparison to the beauty that's achieved when a group of people are singing together in perfect harmony, um, where every note is coming together in a perfect, harmonious blend. All those notes pulled together perfectly. That is tremendous beauty. And here's what James is saying. He's saying, when you get this wisdom from above, it will begin to pull all the parts of your life together in beauty. To get the wisdom from above, James is saying, is to have a life that sings, and a life that sings in harmony. All the various pieces of your life will begin to fall in proper order is what James is saying. If you get this wisdom from above, it will begin to turn you into the deeply authentic person you wish you could be. Um, you'll begin moving deeper and deeper into a richer, fuller, more satisfying wholeness and freedom in life. If you want the truly beautiful life, James is saying, if you want a life that sings, then you have to get this wisdom from above. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about this passage in three points. We're going to talk about a wisdom from below, and then we're going to talk about a wisdom from above, and then finally we're going to talk about how to get this wisdom that's from above. So first, let's talk about this wisdom from below. What is this wisdom from below? A wisdom that James himself described in verse 15 as being earthly, unspiritual, or demonic, or and demonic. And here's what I, I want you to think about in this point. This earthly, unspiritual, even demonic wisdom from below is actually the default mode of our hearts. We naturally operate and function in life with this wisdom from below. Um, I, I think the easiest way to explain this is to say that the default mode of our hearts is really to work off of our resumes. Um, your resume is a list of your accomplishments. It's a list of your achievements in life. It's a record of your performance, right? It's your pedigree, maybe. It could be all kinds of different things. And what we do with our resumes are we use our resumes to build our sense of identity, to give to us, to achieve 
um, a sense of self. Uh, here's how I gain my confidence. I look at my res- resume and this proves that I matter. This proves that I have value. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've achieved. Look at the record of my performance. This proves to myself that I'm something. This proves that I'm lovable and that I have worth. But of course, this is a deeply insecure confidence if you're working off of your resume. Because the moment you fail, or when you stumble, or when you don't measure up, your resume haunts you and taunts you in life. Your failures, your weakness, your hypocrisy in life, they send you into a spiral of shame and guilt and despair if you're living off of your resume. See, twice in verse 14 and 16, James wrote that the wisdom from below is driven by a bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. It's a kind of wisdom, James is saying, because there's a certain logic to it, all right? The logic of the resume. I have to look out for myself, is what this wisdom from below is talking about. I have to make a name for myself. I have to prove that I'm something. I have to prove that I have value. I've got to stand out. I've got to prove that at least I'm better than those people, whoever those people are. And the jealousy, it, it is deeply bitter. Because when we're working off our resumes, we're so insecure about our standing and our status. And we're envious of the approval and the popularity and the wealth and the position and the appearance of others because it makes them look better than us, right? We're absolutely miserable in life when someone has what we think we deserve when we're living by this wisdom from below. Don't you feel how easily and how naturally your heart just slips into this default mode, how we're a part of this rat race and how we're grasping for our identity and trying to build a sense of self. That's the wisdom from below. This is a little dated for some of you in here, but um, Chris Everett was um, a professional tennis player in the 70s and the 80s, and she was one of the best tennis, professional tennis players ever. Um, the number one tennis player in the world for seven years. Um, she's reached more grand slams than any other player in the history of tennis. Um, she holds the record for the most French Open wins. Only recently did Serena Williams tie her for the most U.S. Open wins. Um, we could go on with her list of accomplishments. My, my point is, even if you don't know who she was, uh, because you're too young, She was really, really good. Um, And she said this when she was playing tennis. She said, to be a tennis champion, you have to be inflexible. You have to be stubborn. You have to be arrogant. You have to be selfish and self-absorbed, a kind of tunnel vision almost. It sounds familiar to our passage, right? Arrogant, boastful, inflexible, self-absorbed, selfish ambition, grasping. In 1990, after she had retired from tennis, she gave an interview where she spoke about her retirement, and this is what she said. I had no idea who I was or what I could be 
away from tennis. I was depressed and afraid because so much of my life had been defined by being a tennis champion. I was completely lost. Winning made me feel like I was somebody. It made me feel pretty. It was like being hooked on a drug. I needed the wins, the applause, in order to have what? An identity. Deeply insecure, grasping with selfish ambition, where does it lead? James wrote in verse 16 that this is where it leads. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil practice. See, Everett was saying that at the end of her grasping, there was radical disorder in her life. She was lost. She didn't know who she was. Her life wasn't one of harmony, but one of discord. She needed the winds to feel like somebody to prove her value, to prove that she was pretty, right? She was grasping in her life for beauty. St. Augustine, the early church father um, in the fourth century, he wrote in a prayer, a line in one of his prayers goes like this, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And someone commented on this prayer, a guy named David Powson, and he wrote this, Augustine's sense of the human heart is that we are grasping creatures. We are willful and impulsive. Our longings and loves are disordered and corrupted. This is who we are, right? This is the default mode of our hearts. Um, is to live by this wisdom from below, trying to work off of our resumes, as it were. We're insecure, we're grasping, and our longings and loves in this life have become all disordered, and we fall into every evil practice. You know, the man or woman whose life is spinning out of control, and that might be you this morning, um, whether you're addicted to sex or substance or career or your reputation or your need for approval or you're addicted to power or status or wealth or whatever it is, you know how quickly your life gets thrown out of balance. Um, We feel lost in it, desperate to build an identity, but we wind up not knowing who we are in the end. We become surprised at our ability to compromise to every evil practice, our ability to alienate others, our ability to isolate ourselves, our selfish ambitions and our jealousy driving us to sacrifice health and family and spouse and even our own integrity because we're grasping creatures trying to prove that we're somebody, that we matter and that we have value and that we're lovable. You know, just a taste here before we move on, but but you need to hear this. Until you realize that the default mode of your heart is to operate by this wisdom from below, you will never find the wisdom from above. We have to see this unflattering truth about ourselves, about our own brokenness, our desperate insecure grasping to build an identity, a sense of self for for ourselves. But second, let's contrast this with what James calls in this passage, the wisdom from above. And here's what I want you to think about. If the wisdom from below is, 
is all about our resumes, then the wisdom from above, to us, it, it appears completely and entirely upside down, right? The wisdom from below says it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. You've got to look out for yourself. And the way for you to get power in this life is to grasp for power or to align yourself with those who have power. That the way to be wealthy is to hold on to what you have. And the way to get ahead is for you to step on others. To be somebody, you have to prove that you're somebody. To be happy in life, you have to, you have to grasp for happiness for yourself. And immediately, you see how upside down this wisdom from above appears. We don't have time to comment on everything in verses 17 through 18, but James is saying that the wisdom from above is pure. It does not have to compromise because it is done grasping. The wisdom from above doesn't step on others to get ahead. It's peaceable and gentle with others. The wisdom from above doesn't have to get its way. It's open to reason. The wisdom from above isn't full of selfish ambition. It's full of mercy and good fruits. The way to power isn't to align yourself with the powerful, but to be impartial and and sincere, to be a servant of others. The way to happiness is really to live for others and not for yourself. The way to true wealth in life is to give your wealth away for others. The wisdom from above that James is describing appears completely upside down to us. Now, here's the deal. You've got to be very, very careful with what James lists for us in verses 17 and 18. And you've got to be careful with it because the default mode of your heart is to build a resume. And so if you're not careful, you'll start looking at verses 17 and 18 like a to-do list, like a checklist for yourself. If you look at it superficially, that's what you'll see. But what James is actually doing here is something genius. He's actually painting a portrait of a person. He's painting a portrait of the life of beauty. He's painting a portrait of the life of beauty that naturally spills out of someone who gets this wisdom from above. I don't mean to imply here that there's no effort involved, but James is making this point in this passage that when you get this wisdom from above, your life naturally begins to fall into order. That your life naturally begins to sing in beauty and pour out beauty. You no longer need, you no, no longer feel the need to grasp for an identity for yourself because you become free. You know, my, my wife, she really wants to go up to the Northeast at some point. Um, it's on her bucket list, I guess, to see the leaves turn colors in the fall. And some of you have been. Um, and if not, you've probably seen pictures of this um, before up in the Northeast where the trees, they, the fall has come and the leaves are all turning their colors and these bright and vibrant yellows and pinks and oranges and, and reds. And it's just beautiful. And it's fascinating that such amazing and true beauty is released in what is actually the dying of leaves, right? Isn't that some of what James is saying here? That true beauty is seen when you no longer have to grasp for an identity, but you can die to yourself 
for the sake of others. Because I read this great story this past week about a young girl named Caitlin Burke uh, from Tomball, Texas. I have no idea where that is, but um, it's the first time hearing of it. Caitlin was a senior in high school. She was the co-captain of the cheerleading squad. She was outgoing. She was pretty. She was popular. Um, and during her senior year, there was a, a Sadie Hawkins dance where the girls invite the boys or ask the boys to go to the dance. And Caitlin asked Joshua Wright to be her date, which was a bit of an unusual choice uh, for someone like Caitlin. Um, so let me just read you a, a portion of the story that I, I read in this article. The author writes, Joshua would not have been the typical choice for a popular, outgoing young lady trying to make every moment special her senior year, but that is exactly the choice uh, Caitlin made. See, Joshua is not your average 16-year-old boy. He has autism, mental retardation, cerebral palsy, water on his brain, and extreme speech delay. And this author writes, he has good days. But he also has some not very good days. And Caitlin saw this dance not as an opportunity to do something special for herself, but as an opportunity to do something special for Joshua. Um, She took Joshua, who wouldn't have been asked by anyone else to go to this dance. And they did the whole deal, right? They took the limousine. They took the pictures. They um, went out to eat. They They did the dancing, all that stuff. And interviewed later for this story, she was asked why she chose to take Joshua to the dance. And this is what what she said. I knew he loved to dance. That's it. That's the only reason. Right? So the person who's writing this article wasn't satisfied, so he pressed further. um, And he said, no, seriously, why did you take Joshua? Um, And she said, look. It's just not a big deal. I just knew he loved to dance. Now, what she was saying is it really wasn't a big deal for her. But the only reason it became a story was because it was a really, really big deal to Joshua's parents. Right? They were overwhelmed by the opportunity they now had to do something they thought they would never get to do which was to help their son get ready for a date and to go to a dance, a high school dance. And they got to take pictures with their son. I mean, Kaylin may have thought, she may have thought she was doing something special for Joshua, but she never imagined what it would mean to his parents. Now listen, they caught a glimpse of a beautiful life in Kaylin. A young woman who had just recently become a Christian. A young woman who got the wisdom from above. And her life was just naturally beginning to sing with beauty. You know, I gave you that line from St. Augustine's prayer in the last point. Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. We talked about kind of the negative side of that. But here's the positive side. Our hearts are only restless until they rest in God himself. And when they do, beauty begins 
to flow out of our lives. I'm getting just a bit ahead of myself, but to get the wisdom from above is for you to stop grasping for an identity and to find your identity in God himself. And when you do, it will set you free from the tyranny of the resume, and it will turn your life upside down to sing with true beauty. Okay, last, let's talk about how to get this wisdom from above. James was making a case here in in these verses. There are two kinds of wisdom. There's a wisdom from below and a wisdom from above, and there isn't a third option is what he's saying. And the question for us this morning is how is it, how do we forsake this wisdom from below and how do we get is wisdom from above. I can't remember if I mentioned this earlier in our series on James or not. Um, If I did, it's probably been long enough that we need a refresher on this. Um, But it, it doesn't take much to read through James and to realize that James' letter reads differently than every other letter you find in the New Testament. Um, It is very blunt. It is filled with practical application. It is filled with short little statements that you and I would probably call Proverbs. Verse 18 is a great example in this passage when he says, and a harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. That's a proverb. With all this practical application and James's very pointed discussions about wisdom, It's not difficult to see why all scholars look at James' letter, this unique letter in the New Testament, and they put it in the category of wisdom literature. It is the wisdom literature of the New Testament. And the clearest example that you have in your Bibles of another place where there is wisdom literature is called the book of Proverbs, right, in the Old Testament. James' letter in the New Testament is the counterpart to the Old Testament Proverbs. Now, we're going to come right back to James in a minute, but I want you to think with me for a moment about the Proverbs. And I just want to use one little section of the book of Proverbs to make a point. We're all familiar with poetry enough, I think, to realize that poets often personify um, inanimate objects uh, or abstract thoughts to make their points, right? So, A poet talks about a babbling brook that sings. Uh, We talked about fall leaves earlier, right? Fall leaves that dance on the wind. That's personifying inanimate objects, right? In Proverbs 8, wisdom is personified. That is, wisdom takes on a personality. And in Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom herself is doing the speaking. And this is what she says in verse 6. Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. And then wisdom says this. You might recognize, some of you might recognize this passage. Choose my instruction. This is wisdom speaking. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Then a few verses later, wisdom says this, the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity from the beginning before the world began, when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Then I was the craftsman at his side. And then finally, in Proverbs 8, I'm going somewhere with this, don't worry about it. Proverbs 8, wisdom says this, now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. 
Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway for whoever finds me, finds life and receives favor from the Lord. The personification of wisdom. You know, in poetry, that's not all that unusual, right? But this is probably why I like poetry, um, because it teases out a question for us as we read through a passage like Proverbs chapter 8. And the question that it teases out of us is this, what if, right, what if you could actually have a relationship with wisdom? What if wisdom really was a person? Here's another example of wisdom literature, because you understand in this context, wisdom literature was a very common thing. Here's an example from something called the wisdom of the son of Sirach at the same time. Why are your souls so thirsty? I say to you, find wisdom. Listen to this. Put your necks under its yoke and bear its burden. If you are intent, you can find wisdom. See with your eyes that I have labored for it, and I have found for my soul much rest. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11? He said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke Upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's what Jesus was saying I am the one you have been looking for. Wisdom is about me, and I am wisdom. If you want to rest, if you want to come to to an end of your grasping in life, If you want the life of beauty, then come to me, Jesus says. Learn from me. Live for me. I'm the one that is more valuable than silver, than choice gold, than rubies. Nothing you can ever desire in this life, Jesus is saying, can ever compare with me. I was there at creation. I was the craftsman through whom all things were made, and I am the Redeemer who through, who through whom all things will be remade. Listen, when Jesus came to his creation, you know this, he came as the king, announcing his kingdom. But if you read through the gospels, you'll realize this. He was a king like none other. And his kingdom was like none other that the world had ever seen. He was the upside down king of an upside down kingdom. He came and he was not born in a palace but on a bed of straw in a manger. He was a king without a home where foxes have holes and birds have nests and the son of man had no place to lay his head. He came telling us that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What did James say about the wisdom from above in verse 13? He said, by his beautiful life, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The way to get this wisdom from above is to become meek. And here's the way to meekness and the upside-down wisdom from above. You have to come to the upside-down king. You have to come and realize that he left the riches of glory to come to you, to become a man, to live and die for you. He gave up his life for you. 
And when you see that, that is true beauty. And when that becomes real to you, it will begin to spill out of your life in sacrifice and service of others, in purity, in mercy, in peace. All the things that James lists in this passage for us. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. I think our hearts are like ice buckets of water. And they are constantly in danger of freezing over. And to keep our hearts from freezing over, from returning to the wisdom from below, which is the default way for us to operate in this world, we have to constantly chip and break away at the ice that's beginning to freeze over in our hearts. You have to do that if true beauty is going to pour out of your life and your life is going to sing. And the way you break up the ice in your heart is with the good news of the gospel. You keep coming back to Jesus in meekness to be reminded of true beauty, to get this wisdom from above that begins to spill out of your life. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for James who wrote this letter, for James who forces us to ask And answer the question, are we living on wisdom from below or wisdom from above? And Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would take each and every one of us and that you would cause us to lift the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus in order that we would see true beauty, in order that we would come to understand the upside-down king and his upside-down kingdom in order that beauty would begin to spill out of our lives. Father, we pray that you would do this for us, for our good, but ultimately for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.